0: Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. If you feel like your career is stuck in a rut, this may be the episode for you. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of beyond the rut. I'm one of your hosts, Jerry, and in just a moment, Brandon and I are going to have a conversation with Laura Pennington Briggs. Laura is a TEDx speaker who's spoken about the freelance economy, and she's going to share with us about her transition from corporate life and just a job that she was not fulfilled in and becoming a freelance writer. So she now is a successful freelance writer. She's authored books, and she also coaches people on how to succeed in today's economy as a freelancer, specifically around around freelance writing. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. But before we begin, if you haven't already hit the subscribe button to our show so that you never miss an episode, go ahead and do that. So whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Castbox, iHeartRadio, if I haven't said that already there's a subscribe button. Go ahead and click that. You'll never miss an episode. Now that you've done that, let's begin. Here we go. All right, Brandon, welcome back. And it looks like you donated some more blood to the Coastal Bend Blood Center. Um, Shameless plug for them Uh, who doesn't sponsor the show.
1: They should, though,
0: because I really like that place. Yeah. (laughs) Did they ever make that improvement that you talked about where they capture your name and Set a date for the next time you'll come in no,
1: I'm still complaining yeah. about that one. in fact, uh I was there yesterday, and I got a text about twenty minutes. I'm sitting in the chair, giving platelets, and I get a text that reminding me of my appointment at eight thirty and I'm like it's almost nine o'clock, and I'm getting mm. this text late. Y'all got to work on that system too. So (laughs) even
0: the automation is on Corpus Christi time. Is that what I'm hearing? (laughs) They've had a lot of improvements,
1: (laughs) but we're still trying to get there. Uh, the blood bank is something that is near and dear to my heart. So I want them to do
0: better. All right. Well, joining us from St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota, I just had to say, I had to get that (laughs) in there is uh, Laura Pennington Briggs and, uh, probably from a land that does not have as much of a relaxed perception of time as we do here in South Texas. (laughs) How are you doing, Laura?
2: I am doing well thanks for having me
0: awesome fantastic we're We're glad you're with us and um and we were just talking before we hit the record button and uh you know just well, even before we called you, we were just talking about how amazing you are as far as what you've accomplished and the and the message you've got for not just millennials but for what's known as the fourth industrial revolution. It looks like I'm just gonna skip the icebreaker. Let's just dive into this. <laughs> yeah. So who needs an icebreaker? We're going to learn about you as we talk. So anyway, uh, excited to have you on here is basically what I'm trying to say.
2: Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm cool with skipping the icebreaker. I'm just here to follow what's going to work for you. So yeah. There we go.
0: Me too. I'm watching Jerry going, hey, let's go down road.
2: <laughs> All right.
0: Cool. Uh, so I had a chance to watch both of your TEDx talks and uh, – you know, one of them you were talking about how we're in what's called the fourth industrial revolution. And in that, you also described how you were an inner city school teacher. And then from there, you became a very successful or at least successful enough freelance writer where that is what you do now. And you're now coaching people to do that. Can you talk us through that process? Like, um, yeah, what, what spurred you on to be a teacher? And then when did you realize that was not the thing for you to do anymore?
2: Right. I always wanted to work in education in some sense. When I I studied abroad for a year in college in England and just really loved my professors over there and kind of thought, You know, at that point in time, I had wanted to be an attorney, and I'd worked for some attorneys and seen what that was really like behind the scenes and kind of felt that wasn't the fit for me. So I thought I might go the graduate school route to become a professor, and I got my master's degree in political science. I taught in the political science department while I was at Virginia Tech there, and I started working on my Ph.D. at night while I lived in Maryland through Virginia Tech's northern campus. And it was really on that track to become a professor. I thought I'd end up in a university teaching classes. And since my PhD program was at night, I needed a way to, you know, pay my bills. <laughs> and also I thought, why don't I get some educational experience here? So I went into a program that's very similar to Teach for America um, called the Baltimore City Teaching Residency. And in short, they give you six weeks of training and throw you into <laughs> a classroom that is very difficult to teach in. I mean, the first year of teaching for anyone is notoriously hard inner city schools that don't have a lot of resources are even more challenging. So I jumped in, you know, both feet first. I, I taught what was supposed to be seventh grade geography, but the principal also said, Oh yeah. Can you also teach us history? Can you also (laughs) teach personal finance? Can you teach reading? And I'm like, I'm not certified in any of these things, but I will do my best. Right. So, um, That year was the most challenging I've ever had professionally. I was really great at lesson planning and coming up with creative ideas. I was absolutely terrible at classroom management, getting kids to sit in their seats, to stay focused. (laughs) We had, you know, 35, 40 kids at a time in a room that didn't even have that many desks. And it was just a constant challenge. And I was burning out very fast. So I knew, okay, traditional education that year pretty much just sapped the desire to do that right out of me. And so I I went back to the drawing board and said, what skills do I have that I could possibly translate from teaching and do something else? And stumbled into freelance writing as a result of that.
1: That's crazy. Where did you grow up? Like what what brought you? What what what's your history to get you to Baltimore Inner City? Because that's I imagine a quite (laughs) a jump.
2: It is. So I grew up in Ohio. I went to college at a woman's college in Virginia, and then I also went um, to graduate school. Got my master's at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. While I was getting my master's, I met my now husband, who is a uh, just recently left the military, and he's also a physician. So he was in his oh, wow. third year of medical school when uh, they you have to move and start doing rotations, and so he got placed in Maryland, mm-hmm. and so that's when I said, okay, I've got to find a way to work up here in Maryland. So we lived on the western side of Maryland, and I drove an hour and a half each way to Baltimore every school day to do that. So we've actually moved eight times in 10 years for my husband's military career. Awesome. So I don't think I could have been a teacher anyways, right? Because of the amount of times we've had to pick up and relocate somewhere new. So freelance writing was a better fit for me in a, for a lot of reasons.
0: I'm thinking you only had to move eight times. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, the fact that you
1: took something that was a little chaotic and really wouldn't have worked with your lifestyle yeah. and your your family. So you created something that would help you yeah. do what you love, but also obviously fund that. Because as we were talking earlier, you know, doing something you love that you don't make any money at, it's a little harder than <laughs> something that you really love and you get paid for.
2: Absolutely. And that's what I think is so cool about the time we live in now because we have more options than ever before because of remote work or because of side hustles where, you know, I, I know people who are, they're freelance writers and it's a long haul trucker. So when he has to stop due to federal regulations, he writes in the back of his truck cab. Oh, and I know people neat. with disabilities or caretakers for elderly loved ones where now we have so much more flexibility. And for me, that was huge because for, my husband was in the Navy for 14 years. Every one of those years, the Navy was in charge of where we lived and what he did. And so right. it became very clear to me quickly that I've got to adapt around him to be able to make this work. And and thank goodness that this kind of career is possible to do that.
1: Yeah. I love that concept because you, you took something that Other people could say, well, you know, I can't do that because of him or because of the Navy or blame your circumstances. And you just took your circumstances and created something in it. That's that's really good. And I've
0: got a friend. I'm going to do a shout out to my friend Malia Justice, uh, and then I'm going to make her listen to this. Uh, It's a similar boat. She uh, has her master's degree in education, uh, specifically around instructional design and uh, educational technology. Anyway, her husband is in the Coast Guard. And Even mm-hmm. better than the Navy. You know, in the short time I've known her, which is less than five years, they've already moved three times because, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah, you were Coast Guard. So, there I'm like, go. why would the Coast Guard be better than the Navy? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had prettier ships. and uh, <laughs> uh, So, yeah, my, my friend Malia is able to work uh, basically globally, but from mm-hmm. her living room. I think they're currently in Washington right now. So when her daughter gets out of school, they go and do field trips around the area. They they get all this acculturation type stuff, and then she goes to work during the day while husband's at work, daughter's at school, and and she's basically working in like Florida or Texas yeah. or Illinois, right? But from her living room, and that's so right. cool. And I love how you describe this as
1: the next revolution. You know, kind of like the industrial revolution. You you. You kind of corned a phrase that this is the next revolution. Did you
0: say corned a phrase? Corned
1: a phrase. It's something <laughs> yeah. we say in Iowa.
2: Well, yeah, I was going to say, I am from Ohio, so I'm not from, I'm, I'm fine with go. the corn reference. <laughs> we'll yeah, I think that um, the what's happening with work now is that employees and workers have more say than ever before. And for a long time, it was, you know, our traditional nine to five setup, that is something that goes back to the original industrial revolution where that was when they needed people on factory floors. Well, that we don't really need that anymore. Like who decided that 40 hours a week standing in the same place or sitting at the same desk with your coworkers is the only way to get work done or even the most optimal way to get work done. And I think now we're seeing more and more people who are digital nomads. They're choosing to take their business and travel around the world living in different places. You know, they, they live as you know, intentionally as possible, making their business or their career work around their life rather than the other way around.
1: Right. That's such a great concept too, because I've, I'm always preaching about you're, you're going to get paid whatever you're worth. And if mm-hmm. wherever you work doesn't pay you there, then create something better that will pay you what you want to make. But you're not really dictated Monday through Friday or eight, to five or weekends or whatever you want to do. And and there's so many opportunities. So whenever you kind of built this career, you, you realize teaching, obviously that's a Monday through Friday kind of job, but that didn't fit your lifestyle. So you had to go out there and and kind of create something different. So what, what next steps did you take there?
2: Uh, well, I turned to, to Google, I literally did type into Google how to become a freelance writer. And I read everything I could on the subject and uh, just absorbed that information and decided to try to start putting myself out there to land my first client. And it was never my intention that this was going to be my career. I just thought, you know, we're going to need to to pay bills My husband was in a transition period with the Navy before they found the next location for him. And so they put him on leave without pay for a couple of months. And it was like, okay, we're down to one income. We've got to figure out how to make this work. And so that's how I started it and quickly saw that there was a huge demand for it. And so I taught myself everything I could about content writing, what website writing looks like, how that's different from other forms of content, and really started working with more and more clients. And that's when I saw the demand for this could be either a really consistent side hustle, or I might be able to do this full-time pretty early on in in working through that.
1: I love that because... You, you did the work. You didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I know somebody's listening to this thinking, well, yeah, of course all that worked out for, her, but we're skipping months, if not years oh, yeah. of you just reading and not making any money, but teaching yourself the little ins and outs and the secrets to making money off of this. So your first pay client, what, if you don't mind, what, what did you make off of that first job?
2: I can't remember how long this first project was, but I know that I made, it was either 100 or or $150. And at that time, you know, when you're coming from Especially a teaching background—that's a huge amount of money. You're like, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. how many how many hours a day am I working in the classroom, either with students or grading papers or talking to parents? So for me, that's really when it started. And my first couple of months were a little slow. I didn't really know quite what I was doing yet, but I figured it out along the way. Um, and because I didn't put that pressure on it of okay, I'm gonna make this like it has to make money, you know, as much money as nice. my teaching job in month two. You know, I didn't have feel that pressure, but I did set financial goals every single month of, okay, here's what I'd like to see come in from my freelance business. And that way I always knew where I was at with my marketing. Am I close to that? Do I need to go back and work some more on it? That type of thing.
1: That's a, a great kind of method to put in place because it forces you to continue to hustle rather than say, well, I didn't make any money this month, but that's okay. Set little goals. And, and Jerry was actually talking about that the other day about how you... Set a big goal. I want to make a million dollars or whatever it is, but then set little goals so you mm-hmm. can weekly, daily, monthly kind of see your progress and, and keeps you in line. You don't get lazy and you don't get discouraged. You know where you're at in life. Yeah.
0: And we just released that free tool that our listeners can use. So just go to com slash goals. Goals. With three O's. No, just one. Oh. <laughs> Okay.
1: We, we should get that guy that does the soccer thing. That would go. be
0: cool. <laughs> or we just, anyway. That's th- not relevant <laughs> There it is, anything, the ADHD but, you know. <laughs> I was telling you about, Laura. That was it right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. your, I love it. Your average teacher, I had a friend that was a teacher that we figured this out one time, and she made like about $2.10 an hour when she factored in grading papers and all that other stuff. So... Uh, we love teachers, obviously, and we're so thankful they're out there and we don't have to be them because that's a hard, hard job. But oh, yeah. creating that mindset that you're not necessarily trying to survive, you know, your house wasn't about to be taken away or you weren't going to be thrown out on the street, but you wanted to create something that was yours that you could control since somebody else was going to decide whether you live in Ohio or Florida or where in the world. So you wanted something that you owned and you could control it. And now it really doesn't matter where you're at.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we move quite a bit. And maybe I have one or two days of downtime for the actual move process of, you know, the boxes being packed up or unpacking where we're at. But it's, you know, I've really learned... To work wherever I'm at. I've done a lot more public speaking in the last couple of years and attending conferences and I just work from wherever hotel I'm at or I find a university in that town and I go work at their library. So it's very, very flexible, which has made a big difference in, you know, how I feel about work and how easy it is to incorporate in, you know, changes in your life when you need to, you know, schedule something else in there or be as flexible as possible.
0: Now, of all the things you could do as a digital freelancer, how did you wind up being a writer? Like, what was it that made you say, you know what, that's something I could do. It's easy for me. Uh, I'm probably answering the question right here. But anyway, I'll stop and let you answer.
2: (laughs) Well, I've always been a big reader. So I think... Great readers often make great writers because they encounter vocabulary, phrases, patterns, grammar all the time in what they read. So I have always been a bookworm and have loved reading and writing. I had, of course, written in an academic context in college and in graduate school, and I've gotten positive feedback about my academic writing. When I worked as a teaching assistant at Virginia Tech, a lot of the students who came to my office hours were looking for help with their writing, and so I knew that was a strength of mine to, you know, help other people improve what they were working with, and I thought I could give it a try. You know, my like I said, my good part of being a teacher was creating lesson plans. I was really good at being creative of like, okay, how are we going to teach this concept? How do I make it fun? How do I make the students pay attention? And I thought I might be able to take some of these skills and turn it into writing. But I've I've done other work as a freelancer, too. I've done work as a virtual assistant, which is kind of like an administrative assistant who works online. I've done work as a project or a content manager, managing other teams of freelancers as well. And that's what's nice about it, too. You get exposed to different things along the path of freelancing. I've created online courses for people. I've ghostwritten books it's really been cool to get exposed to different options and opportunities just by starting with one.
1: Wow. I love that because your kind of focus now is really on making other people better at whatever it is they want to do, freelance writing or in some way being a a nomad, so to speak, that you can work from anywhere. So tell us a little bit about how you started the business of really helping other people away from just focusing on building your own career.
0: and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash cap show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show.
2: Yeah, well, I think that First, people started asking me. A lot of them were my teacher friends or my graduate school friends. You know, when I left graduate school, we were kind of in the midst of the Great Recession, and getting a job was really hard. And so I saw a lot of people who were reaching out to me and just sending me emails. Hey, how did you do this? How did you do that type of a thing? And so my first two people that I ever coached to start their freelance writing career, it was just one-on-one. They were people I knew personally from you know, my Facebook, they had seen what I'd been doing. And they reached out to me and said, could you teach me how to do what you do? So I taught them. And that demand kind of continued to increase. And of course, there's always that teacher part inside of me that likes helping other people and breaking things down into steps. So in a way, I still very much work in education, just in an online way, where I structure what it looks like. So I've, I work with people one-on-one, usually intermediate freelancers who are looking to scale to six figures and are kind of trying to figure out, okay, what's next for me? How do I make that work? What systems and strategies do I need to have in place for this to grow more? And then I also do strategy sessions, sort of one-time things where someone's like, help, I'm not converting my clients or i need you to review my website or i think my pitch is awful can you help me so those sorts of things i do as well and then i sell courses specifically designed to help freelancers make more money in less time
1: right so it the traditional in a school classroom type teaching some people might say well that that's all i have it's like it's not at all you could you could be a teacher in so many different mm-hmm. ways and the way you're doing it is the direct contact with people and, yeah. and you get to still teach, but you're just not driving an hour and a half to a classroom. So yeah. To speak.
0: yeah. One of um, Laura's TED Talks that she talked about was how the skills she picked up from being a teacher, from her educational background, actually opened up the door to so many other things she could do that mm. were just laying there in wait. Like soft skills was a big one because you're working with teams that you didn't really get to work with for years and years and years and build that rapport. You've got to get in there immediately, yeah. build some trust, deliver – keep that trust so that you get that repeat business. And I'm I'm thinking about when I transitioned out of the army myself, I mean, four and a half years, I was a combat medic. And when I was looking at the job prospects of what can I take, um, what can I get with the certifications I've got and the best I could look at doing, even though I had the ability to do like chest tubes and sutures and all kinds of cool, huh, gung ho combat medic type stuff. You're not allowed to do any of that in the civilian world because it's a great way to get sued.
2: Right. So, <laughs>
0: uh, the best thing that I could find as a medic with the certifications I actually held was an $8 an hour, you could drive this care van for us, this mobile clinic. Yeah, That's it. And if somebody has a heart attack, you're the fourth in line to do CPR. How was that. And I thought, well, that sucks. <laughs> that, that's where yeah. that mentality that you have, Laura, yeah. of, okay, this
1: is what the world's telling me I have to do or how mm-hmm. to do it. I'm going to create something yeah. different, which is... The main yeah. stay of this podcast was how do you make something yeah. out of what
0: you got? Yeah. And for me, what it was, uh, I was a sergeant as well. So the skills I had that I could bring to the table weren't just the medic skills. There was the leadership skills. There were the communication skills, project management skills. And that's what led to my first job, which paid uh, almost three times as much than if I had just stuck purely to, well, my role was combat medic and I must be a medic. It's like, no, I wound up being an education coordinator for a large healthcare organization. And in fact, you fast forward a couple Decades, well, decade and a half. I was going to say that was
1: seventy five years ago. So eight dollars. I'm not that old.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are talking to my kids, man? Telling me to add fuel to that fire. Uh, Anyway, you know, still doing that, and that's a a field I stumbled into. Didn't realize I had a skill set and a talent for it until I realized I needed to think beyond just what my jobs have been up to that point. So really need that with freelance work. It's the same thing. It's like, well, what are the skills I have? And then I think you mentioned, you know, you go out. and and identify what the gaps are out there. And I remember on that second TEDx talk I uh, watched, which was you did this in April of this year, 2019, you talked about how there are 108 million jobs in the United States alone that cannot be filled because of the technical skills that are required. Yeah. Yeah, and I I went to a conference uh, by Burson uh, Incorporated, I think, and they do a lot of data on research on data-driven research on uh, human resources needs in in American economy. And one of the biggest things they kept talking about was the same shortage of highly skilled workers and that we may have to look at the freelance gig economy to be able to fill that need.
2: Yeah, already a lot of companies are having to turn to freelancers anyways because – Freelancers tend to invest more time in learning new software and skills already compared to your traditional employee, and a lot of students are graduating from college, and it's not that they aren't intelligent, but they haven't been introduced to some of these things before, or how do I find that gap in the market? How do I find that next software that's going to you know, change the way we do things? What role is AI playing in the modern workforce? if students leave college without knowing those things or asking those questions and trying to find resources that match up with it, employers have open jobs in technical and digital skills. They can't fill them. So these this work still needs to be done. So now more and more they're turning to freelancers to be able to accomplish that.
1: I could not agree more. And I think freelance. Freelancers in general are more dedicated than your average employee would say, well, I will learn that while I'm on the job getting paid Monday through Friday. Whereas a freelancer, like you were saying, you have to develop all those skills on your own. So you Mm -hmm. might stay up all night or spend the weekend or the next couple of weeks gaining those skills. So when you start, you have them. Right. Now, some of the uh, obvious things that you offer is, is your courses and stuff, but you've also written a book that may help people kind of get started in this new economy, new kind of revolution. Talk a little bit about what was the inspiration for the book and and a little bit about the book.
2: I've always wanted to write a book. Of course, being a writer, I've helped a lot of other people publish their content. Most of it has been ghostwritten. So 99% of everything I create goes under somebody else's name. And I saw there was a need in the market for introductory help. And I knew that I couldn't help everyone because I get comments on YouTube and via email all the time. Help, where do I start? I'm new to this and I can't help all of those people, especially one individual at a time. So I thought, what if there was a book That was what I wish I had when I got started that would condense all that information that I read that I've learned over the last seven years. And it was like the go to guidebook to either help someone start or pick it up and read it and say, oh, this isn't for me. I don't like some of the downsides. I think a lot of books focus on the pros And don't do enough coverage of the cons. So that was another thing I really wanted to incorporate in the book. What does this really look like? What are the obstacles and challenges? What are the downsides? Because everything has downsides, right? But can you deal with the downsides of your specific profession? Like for me, working alone doesn't really bother me. But I think it's helpful for someone thinking about doing this full time to realize that that's part of the deal working as a freelance (laughs) writer. You are often by yourself and leading these projects on your own. So I created the book with what I felt were the most important things that I wish I had known when I started. And yeah, I was able to publish it with Entrepreneur Press. They were awesome to work with. Really cool to be able to be connected with their brand as well.
1: That's great. I I love that idea of let's point out some of the things that are not great about independent freelance work because I know people that are like, well, you get to work from home in your pajamas. You don't have to worry about, you know, driving or any of that stuff. It's like, not everybody's made that way. Driving it to an office holds you accountable. But if you're just not the kind of person that wakes up and gets to work, self-driven, self-discipline, you're not going to be very good at this kind of
2: job. Right. And that's that I put that information in there because it's not meant to discourage people, but you know, there's certain things that make Freelance writers successful at what they do. One of them is a good command of the English language. So if you read the book and you go, you know what, I need to brush up on my grammar, that's your signal to go find a podcast, a course, a book, a blog to enhance that skill because it's definitely something that's in demand.
1: And like you said, the time we live now, you can do all of that from your home, from your average cell phone, much less a laptop or something. You have access to this wealth of information for free to update your ability to speak and, and write and all of that. Probably this in the podcast to listen to, to update your grammar. grammar, Yeah. We
0: got a fake accent. We're (laughs) making up words. Don't
1: don't listen (laughs) to people from Texas. If that's your goal, you probably pick somebody
2: else.
0: All right. Uh, So if somebody wanted to reach out to you and learn more about how do I break into the world of freelance writing, how do I operate a business that is successful and thriving? Where's the best place for people to go to get that information from you?
2: Yeah, I blog and publish my podcast on freelancing over at betterbizacademy.com. You can find lots of free resources, YouTube videos, blogs, and other information that I have there. And then I also run a pretty active group on Facebook called Mastering Your Freelance Life with Laura. I do free trainings in there all the time. We've got a really great positive community of freelancers that ask questions and support each other and kind of are always looking to ahead of the curve so we can continue to be successful freelancers.
1: That's so important to not think you're in this alone. There's okay. You need other people that will help you skip some of those mistakes that they're making. They can tell you, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, Be sure you do this and, and kind of move your life forward. Uh, so we'll have all of that in the show notes. So uh, reach out, get in touch with Lard. Now, what did you say your uh, home address was?
2: <laughs> Apparently, you already know. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's right.
1: It'll be in the show notes. So, uh, okay,
2: great. We'll great. put that in there.
1: Her social security number and all that kind of stuff. She had some really pretty plants in front of her house, and.
2: Yeah. Uh, we'll have some
1: pictures of that, so you'll know what to look for. And but. this is when we got our first
0: restraining order right here. First, <laughs> this would
1: be the second, but
0: okay. Well Roblo upped the game yeah. against you. Yeah.
1: Apparently he had a little extra cash. He filed a restraining order, but
0: uh. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it.
1: <laughs> well, Laura, thanks for joining us. And and like I said, we'll put all of that in the show notes, so you can reach out to Laura and find uh, her TEDx talks and her website and 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 get involved. Get take that next step to get your own life on the path that you want it to take. And, and instead of doubting yourself, you'll have a group of people around you that encourage you and support you and, and encourage you to move forward, not just have a dream.
2: Thank you so much.
0: If you like everything you heard in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com/one slash one nine six. There you'll find links to Laura's website, uh, her coaching uh, program, as well as a free course that she offers up as well as the course she offers up to help freelancers succeed in their businesses. There we go. We hope you got a lot of value in this episode. We think you did, but we hope you did. That's the key because we want to make sure that you are applying this information to your own lives to live life beyond the rut that you're experiencing. Now, the best way you can pay it forward for us is to share this show with a friend, a family member, a coworker, or that neighbor across the street. There you go. You may have thought of somebody who would love to hear this episode. Share it with them. That is the best way to support us because it lets us know that you, one, are thinking about other people and two, that we're making an impact somewhere in the world with what we're bringing to you. So there you have it. And, um, you know, we're glad you joined us this week and we look forward to joining you next week. And until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap and myself,